My name is Mary Ann Ryan. I'm a covenant partner here at First Prez, and I'm happy to be with you today as we continue our series, Made for the Moment. God's sovereign grace, faith, and love have made us for works which Christ has prepared in advance for us to do. We have seen how God has gifted the church and given each of us different heart passions to deploy for his purposes. Today, we will study how we steward the abilities Christ has given us. God sends his people to restore the ruin and rubble of our fallen world, and today we will study Nehemiah 3 to see how he wants to use your abilities to accomplish his work. Hear the word of God as I read the first three verses. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel, and next to him the men of Jericho built, and next to them Zakur the son of Imri built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Thank you. I want to begin by saying I'm glad in this service I did not have to read the verses with those names. <laughs> not as easy as it looks. Some of you are going, oh, great, Nehemiah again. I was reading Nehemiah in my quiet time this morning. Well, sorry to duplicate. We're going to continue our series uh, made for this moment and looking at those verses in the context of Nehemiah chapter 3. Here's the reality. God always sends someone to restore the rubble, always. As we continue this series, we're going to be celebrating God's grace and acknowledging the holistic gifts that he has given the church, including you if you belong to him. And we celebrate the truth that we are made for this moment. God's plan A for redemptive restoration are his people that he's redeemed and restored with his blood. In scripture, it's clear, places like Job chapter 10, verse eight, we are all made physically by God in the wombs of our mothers. He knits us together, Psalm 139. The premise of this series is that those of us who are dead in our trespasses and sin have been born again, made alive together with Christ, made by grace, made by love, made by faith. And those are the womb of our good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. As we look at our abilities, stewarding those, we're going to see that the church's capability to participate in God's work of redemptive restoration is directly proportional to how each of her members discovers, develops, and deploys those abilities. See, I'm glad I didn't have to read those names. I can't even say abilities. Glad that's funny to you all. All right, he messed up. That's hilarious. Okay. The first thing we're going to see is that from the context of Nehemiah, God sends his people to the rubble of life. Uh, chapter one, we're introduced to Nehemiah and Nehemiah is a man who is in the Persian palace. 
the most powerful empire in the world, Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. And around 446 BC, Nehemiah hears news of the ruin of the walls of Jerusalem in the city. And it cuts him to the core. It breaks his heart. He feels the trouble and shame of his homeland. And it leads him to days of prayer and days of fasting where we see in chapter 1 that he prays to the God of heaven. And we see in chapter 1 that prayer is a right first step in responding to the rubble of our ruined world. Increasing or deepening the divine dependency that we have will only lead to a more faithful and fruitful participation of his work of redemptive restoration. When we get to chapter 2, we see Nehemiah has made the trek from the palace to the polis of Jerusalem to the city where he deeply listens to the city. In prayer, we are praying for others, for the city, on behalf of the city, while we're listening to God. And chapter 2 shows the essential work of deep listening before we participate in the work of redemptive restoration. Listening to life from community members, this is the pathway and the process for true impactful restoration. Because listening forces us to set aside our personal agenda, all the presumptions that we have and the expectations that we carry. And it encourages us and empowers us to see the, the needs, the gaps and the resources, the skills, the abilities, and the opportunities of bringing restoration to the rubble of our fallen world. This is behind what our church has done in the RTC, the Redeeming the Crisis Task Force, in the past few months that we've spent listening. Listening, prayerfully discerning. It's also behind what you'll find in your bulletin, our State of the Family Forum that we're hosting in San Antonio. We'll be listening to different leaders from different sectors of our city on the state of the family, children and family in our city, and how God's people can respond in restoring, redeeming the crisis that the casualties are really indiscriminately cascading down uh, from health into all of life. Uh, Nehemiah has a simple strategy of listening, discover, and activating. If you have your Bibles open, uh, the end of chapter 2 is the beginning of our launch pad uh, into this passage. And we see his simple formula lived out. After listening, deep listening, he says, he activates very simply by saying, then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we, his servants, will arise and build. The simple imperative, we will arise and rebuild, demonstrates the beauty of God's ordinary work. That is, he sends people to the rubble. It's normal. You see it all through scripture. When you read the story of Joseph, Joseph was sent to Egypt to prepare for the restoration, the recovery that came from the famine to provide for the whole globe. God sent his servant Moses to bring liberation to his people that had been in slavery for hundreds of years. God sent Naomi to Ruth, a, a widow and a foreigner, so that she could find restoration individually and renewal in Bethlehem through meeting her kinsman redeemer Boaz and then even through that, his, God's redemptive plan moving forward through their lineage. 
God wants to use the church at this time, in this moment, to send us to uh, the rubble, the casualties that we see, in the same way that God sent Esther to the palace of King Artaxerxes for such a time as this. So now, we believe that it's our time as God's people as he continues his work of redemptive restoration. So if you're sitting in rubble individually today, or as a family, experiencing the brokenness of living as a sinner in a fallen world with sinned against people and fallen and broken relationships, then there's good news. The good news is that God will send someone to the rubble of your life. He always does. He always will send people to restore. The question is, do we have eyes to see? But there's also great news. The great news is that God has sent someone to the rubble of this world. His own son, Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at that in our third point. But right now we're going to focus on today's news. That as Christ is sent to restore, redeem, and renew us, God uses his restored, redeemed, and renewed people to be restorers, redeemers, and renewers of the rubble of our fallen world. That's just what he does. I'm just a messenger here. If you've got a problem with God's plan A to use his people for his purposes in this world, don't talk to me. Talk to him. But for some reason, he wants to use you. That's what he's always done. It's the second thing we see that God sends his people to rebuild the rubble. And you might disqualify yourself. Mitchell, you don't know me. I don't have much to offer. You don't know me. My circumstances are real difficult. Well, here's what I do know. No matter how broken you are, how sinful you've acted in your life, God's redemption uh, is greater. His grace is greater. It moves beyond our circumstances and our struggles and uses us to strengthen the circumstances and struggles that we find ourselves in. God does this, and he gives all of us different abilities to participate in rebuilding the rubble. And an ability is something you naturally do well. An ability is a skill that you have or a talent that you are proficient in. And abilities that are used for the glory of God are those that we put in the hands of God and trust the power of the Spirit of God to join in what Paul calls a church to do in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, to live all of life for the glory of God. And so it's imperative that we discover the abilities that God has given us. This is why we offer the shape test for our congregation, desiring that uh, we understand not only our spiritual gift and our heart passions, but the different abilities that God has given us, whether that's in our vocation or our experience, maybe in our education or just special talents or skills that we have. The grace of God really compels us to search out the divine design of God for our own life and questioning what abilities that he has given us to restore and redeem, to rebuild the rubble. Now, Jerusalem, it was in ruins. You can read about the devastation of Jerusalem in Lamentations, chapter 1 and 2 and other places in Scripture. The the casualties of the rebellion of God's people led to a devastated city. The walls were gone. The temple was destroyed. The people were scattered. And God sent uh, Nehemiah, his servant, to work with his people there uh, to organize an amazing work of restoration and rebuilding the wall. And God's hand, we just read this in verse 20 of chapter 2. It's a theme in the second chapter of this book. 
God's good hand was on the purposes of redemptive restoration that he called Nehemiah to. And what we see in chapter two, I love what Derek Kinder, or three, Derek Kinder describes it this way. He calls it an extraordinary feat of organization and concerted action. And I'm going to say that the pathway and the process of deep impact for restoration and listening and discovering and activating is that all of God's people activate all of our abilities for the glory of God. And when we take serious the opportunity to activate our ability, then we will increase the church's capability to really redeem the crisis in this moment. Now, some rubble that we hear about in our world or read about around the world, it just obviously requires more than one person, right? It's like the superhero movies. If you're a comic fan, I thought I'd get an amen from you. Alex is a huge comic book fan. Yes, God, hallelujah. Um, But then you know that there are some comic scenarios where uh, and, and maybe you've heard this illustration at this time from other places, but there are some comic scenarios where one superhero can come and save the day. But the latest series of comics have demonstrated global catastrophe on such a scale that it's not just one Avenger. We need all of the Avengers to show up. It's not just one member of the Justice League. We need all of the Justice League to show up because the problem is so great. Well, when we talk about God's work of redeeming and restoring the rubble of the world, we got to know something. We, you, me, we're not the superhero. Only God is a superhero. Jesus Christ, but here's the thing. He's the head of the church. And his body actually does his superhero work of redeeming and restoring in this world. Do you believe that? It's just what the Bible teaches. When we take our abilities and put them in the hands of the living God and trust the power of his Holy Spirit, then he does extraordinary things, increasing the ability, the capability of his body. Now, he does this all the time. You know, let me ask you a question. Do you know the first time in Scripture it is said that someone is filled with the Holy Spirit? Most people think of Acts 2 and Pentecost. But it's actually Exodus chapter 31. And you know who the first people that are filled with the Holy Spirit were? Men who were skilled craftsmen. People that could work with wood, work with gold, work with fabric. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit for what end? They had these abilities that God, they were just ordinary. And he made them extraordinary to build his tabernacle so that his glory could again dwell with his people. Extraordinary use of ordinary abilities when we trust the Holy Spirit with what we have. If you go further in scripture, uh, not only is it our abilities extraordinarily used for God's glory to dwell on earth, but also to further his work of redemptive history. You know, redemptive history could not have gone forward without the ability the skills of real estate agents. Did you know that? You might think that's a little weird, but I'll challenge you to read Ephesians, I mean Ruth, (laughs) chapter four. In Ruth four, after Ruth and Boaz meet, wow, wow, it gets hot on the threshing floor, but they can't move into marriage and relationship without the proper real estate 
process for Bethlehem. And people who were skilled in real estate and, and, and they had the ability to close this deal made it possible for Ruth and Boaz to get together. And through them came Obed and through them Jesse, the father of David, and through them came Jesus Christ, all because of ordinary abilities and skills that were put in the hands of God, the design of God, and used by God to further the redemptive historical purposes of God for all of history. That's a, that's a pretty big deal. And it just comes from a really small step of God's people trusting him with their abilities. And collective impact necessarily involves uniting God's people, all of our skills, all of our abilities with the idea of his redemptive historical plan, his purposes and the resources to accomplish that aspirational vision. And his aspirational vision, the big goal of God, is seen in Revelation 21 and 22. It's the new heavens and the new earth. It's not old Jerusalem. It's the new city that will come down where there's no more sickness, sorrow, death, uh, no more mourning. The old order has passed away and behold, the new things are coming. No more tears. That's where we're headed. And the call of God's people is to live in an already reality, knowing that Jesus' work is accomplished. He has died. He has risen. He has ascended. And he has given different skills, gifts, and abilities to his people so that we might bring a part of his kingdom come, his will be done in our city as it is in heaven. We pray it every week, right? That's the plan. Nehemiah's aspirational vision was to rebuild the wall. And he did it with common and ordinary people. That's what this passage teaches us. It was Eliashib, a high priest. He rose up with his brothers. They rebuilt the sheep gate. It is so powerful that they rebuilt the sheep gate first because that was the door that they brought in the sacrifices to the city. Let me hear you. I want you to hear me say this. Always at the center of God's people is the work of God's sacrifice, his provision. And that first gate the 12 o'clock of Jerusalem walls being fixed is significant because it begins to restore the lifeblood of God's people. But when you read chapter three, uh, you see that the accounts of restoration from the sheep gate over to the fish gate and then through, they were counterclockwise. If you know the way the walls of Jerusalem are set up and the, re the representation of them, but the work, the organization, it goes like clockwork. It's unbelievable how organized it is. And we see uh, the way the passage, if, if we had time to read all of it, if I didn't think half of you would fall asleep if we read it all right now, uh, if you were looking for help napping later today, read chapter three, just kidding. God's word is so exciting, kinda. Sometimes Leviticus, you know, beginning of second Chronicles, Nehemiah three, you read it and you're just like, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you know, rest in the Lord, you know. Um, but you see how it all fits together. Uh, it's, look at these passages in, in verse two. And next to him, it was the men of Jericho. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri built. And then the sons of Hashna built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its bars and its doors. Verse four, and next to them. And the phrases next to him, next to them, after him, it unites this passage. And it actually displays the powerful unity of God's people working together, collective impact. But we have to note the diversity of participants in the passage. There are men, high priests and his brothers. There are women. There are priests 
There are parishioners. There are merchants. There are locals. There are people who are non-residents. There are government officials. There are average citizens. Everybody has a role. And some people say, well, my role is not that great, Mitchell. I don't know what my ability could do. There's something in here for you too. Look down at verse 14. For all of us who don't feel like I have an important wor- role, look at uh, Mount Chizah. God bless you. No, that's his name. The son of Rachab, the ruler of the district of Beth Hatcherim, he repaired the dung gate. <laughs> you say, well, my role can't be that important. Well, somebody's got to repair the dung gate. If the sheep gate is where they brought in the sheep for sacrifices, then what's the dung gate? That's right. It's where they took out things <laughs> that polluted non-spiritual things. But everybody's got to do it. Without the dung gate being repaired, the wall is not complete. The work of restoring the rubble is not done. The security that a wall offers isn't even secure. It can't even serve its purpose. All of us have a role in using our abilities. Our capability as a church is dependent on us finding our highest and best role for God's work of redeeming the rubble. Now, you've never heard of Lester unless you have the same uh, next door app that I have, but Lester is a collie mutt that is up for adoption. And uh, if you're interested in a collie mutt to adopt, then I've got uh, a neighbor that would like to give you Lester. There's a link on, on the post that takes to the city data on the adoption of our four-legged furry friends during the time of COVID. It's really remarkable that the adoption of animals from shelters is almost 91%. That's significant for a city to care for its animals. And it's something to, it's something to um, celebrate. But we also have something to lament. Uh, today is Stand Sunday. You heard us pray about it earlier. Stand Sunday is the Sunday where we stand with Christ, stand with the church on behalf of children who haven't been adopted. And they're in the foster care system. And we as a society are far greater at adopting four-legged furry friends than we are children creating in God's image. 30,000 children are in the foster care system in Bear County. Well, maybe that's Texas and where we live. 500,000 children are in the foster care system not being adopted across our country. And you might say, Mitchell, I don't have the resources to adopt your neighbor's dog, Lester, and I sure don't have the capacity or the capability to participating in foster and adopting children. I just, that's not my call. I'm not here to argue our call. I am here to say that God's word clearly teaches that everybody has an ability that can be used to restore the rubble of our fallen world. Our stewardship story is a perfect example. God has raised up people that can be homes for foster kids. God has raised up families. He is raising up more. And I think there's people in our congregation that are stirred by the spirit, trying to discern if that's your role. But there's others, according to that clear testimony that we had before we started, that want to participate in that rescue, that whole Avenger team that comes together, the whole Justice League that comes together. And maybe we can't open our homes to foster children, but we sure can't open our hearts 
And we can help families stand by providing prayer, by providing food, by providing relationship, by providing mentorship, by providing resources that are needed. Even if you can't do that, there's opportunities with lots of people in our congregation who participate in CASA, where you can advocate for children that are in the, going through the legal system of our foster care system, which, by the way, COVID has disrupted beyond recognition. And what I mean by that is that we're not even sure how dysfunctional the foster care system is coming out of this because it's still so netted together and complicated. But what we do know is that we're going to have a tidal wave of foster kids that are going to flood the system once things reopen. The question is, will the church be ready to stand? Now, let's step back from the foster care reality. Beyond that, we see... We see the importance of just a discipling community in the church. Now, the Springtide Research Institute released a survey, and this survey was about the interests, uh, the meaning that young people have. Now, this is just indiscriminate young people, uh, not a part of the foster care system or, or being adopted or anything. This is just children between 5th or 13 and 23, over 10,000 of them. And 50% of children, young people that were surveyed, said that they that didn't have any adult relationship in their life, said that they didn't have meaning for their life. What? No adult relationship, no sense of meaning, purpose in their life. And those steps that come down are when someone has an adult, a young person has an adult that says, you matter to me, you have meaning to me, I care about you, then that goes up to 69% when you have, they have one person that's an adult relationship. And it grows exponentially, two people, 85%, 91% is three or more. Here's the point. This common grace data points to a core reality of the people of God that the divine design that he has for us is that we are in relationship with one another, discipling, caring, sharing meaning and hope, and that should be manifest in fruitful ways from our youngest among us, the children. We really should have a waiting list for volunteers in the children's ministry, youth ministry, mentoring for young adults, just to be available, to reach out, and to, and to be in relationship, to speak meaning and hope and truth. That's just normal discipleship. I know I wouldn't be here. And the point of this is everybody here, I mean, just keeping it simple on the relationship level, everybody here has an ability that you can use to step out of yourself and into God's design. You can lift a brick and put it on the wall. You can push a wheelbarrow so that we can be restorers of rubble together. Everybody can, whether you are good at spreadsheets or whether you clean teeth, all of us are unique in understanding God's aspirational vision to be agents of redemption, ministers of reconciliation, ministers of Christ, priesthood of believers, then we will rightly discern, discover our abilities so that they can be developed and deployed for the restorative work of our King. This takes us to our third and final point. Not only does God send his people to the rubble of the world, and God uses his people to restore the rubble of the world, but God himself came to redeem and restore the world. It's very tempting for us to look at Nehemiah and say, wow, what a great leader. Be like Nehemiah. Wow, what a great example. Let's be like the people of Jerusalem. All right, here's the game plan. Ready, break. Let's go get them. 
That's not the way God's word works. Nehemiah, he was a, a, a servant in the palace of the most powerful empire of the world of the day in Persia. And he went and was sent to Jerusalem, ended up being governor, but he, he was a servant, a servant of God's work. And his life actually points to the greater servant and the one who had greater authority that came to redeem and restore. Jesus Christ was in the form of God. He was in the throne room of heaven, the palace of the king of kings. And he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Nehemiah, the leader of Restorer, points to the ultimate leader, who was the servant of all. And I love the technicalities of this passage. If you look in verse 3, uh, when the sons of Hashaniah built a fish gate, it says they laid its beams. They set its doors. They bolted in the bolts. And they locked the bars. Security. In the power of the passage is this picture of restoration that we all long for. We all long for that door. And Jesus comes and he says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the gate. No one comes to the Father but through me. Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you'll find. He came and the, the bolts that were set and the bar that was locked speaks of this security and stability that we all long for. And friends, we spend so much time and money on the security systems of our world and the beautiful invitation of the gospel is that we have more security than we need in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Our union with him, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. No height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons. Nothing in all creation can take you from the hand of your heavenly father. You are secure in Christ. No matter how rageful the storm gets or how uncertain our present becomes, we can be certain of the secure bolting and fasting of the bar of God's love that is sealed in Jesus Christ. That's the truth. This passage points to him. Mitchell, how can I know that? The beams that were laid to set the door. In verse 3 and verse 6 and other verses point to a greater beam that was laid on Christ. The beam of the cross that it was laid on him for your sin and mine. Christ carried the cross to Calvary and then carried your sin so that you can be redeemed and restored. Friends, the redemptive historical narrative is centered. The climax is not Nehemiah finishing the wall in 52 days. We read about that in chapter 6. The climax of the narrative is not the revival that comes in chapter 8 and 9 and 10. Those are significant historical moments, but the climax of the narrative is the work of Jesus Christ where he came to show his love. That is why the church in this moment, at this time, by his grace, from his love, through our faith that he's given to us, must understand our time in this moment. He is a God who restores. He is a king that is a superhero power, but he's the head of the church, and for some reason, he uses his body for his purposes. Friends, those who have been redeemed and restored by the work of Jesus Christ are called to be redeemers and restorers of this world, plain and simple. The question is, will we have faith to follow?
Will we take time to discover our abilities so that we can increase the church's capability of redeeming the crisis? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your astounding love and work. Just please remove any of the stupid distractions that I had. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just deepen an understanding of your grace and your love. Lord, you have redeemed. You will restore. Please, I pray for people in this room that have trouble believing that they can trust you for security, that they can trust you for healing and hope. Lord, would you please draw them to yourself by your spirit. For those that know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, that have trouble believing that you want to use them and their abilities, would you please give them faith? Help us all to take our abilities and lay them at the foot of your cross, trusting your Holy Spirit to take our ordinary things, to use in extraordinary ways. And Jesus, we pray that you would increase the capability of your church at this time in this moment. We want to stand with you. We want to stand for you. And we can only stand by your grace and your mercy. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.